Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to see everyone tonight. It's uh, great for those of you that are home watching on the live stream. I've probably heard the thunder, but it's really clear now, so you should show up and be here. (laughs) But it's it's good to have you guys tonight. I'm excited about uh, sharing with you from uh, the second chapter of Samuel, uh, of Samuel, Second Samuel, chapter two. Um, Greg tonight is uh, playing with his grandchildren in Chicago. I believe it's Chicago. He's uh, taking about a week up there to. Uh, I was going to say relax, but he's not relaxing. <laughs> in fact, I think he's probably going to be a little worn out when he comes home. He said Reedy can do this. Uh, he said, but it kind of wears me out a little bit. So. Um, they're up there sleeping in a basement, hopefully not the, what we picture as a basement, hopefully it's a nicer basement, but anyway. Um, well, tonight um, I'm excited about um, kind of going through a chapter that's, uh, it's almost a transitional chapter. It's a cha- so we, we, just to back up a little bit, the era of Saul has ended. Saul was killed along with his, along with some of his sons. Um, that was last week, and I think Greg also, when it got into verse 1 of 2 Samuel, where he, um, David seems to be on the right track. He has gone through some difficult times as far as gaining self-control and, um, you know, living not according to God's standards. Um, but it seems to be, based on where he's come in, this, in these few chapters here, that he's, he's on the right track. He's, he's doing things according to God's plan. Um, he's listening to the Lord. And um, he is, I think, showing kingship, uh, a proper king. He, he's, he's exhibiting uh, behaviors that a true king. He's humble. He was gracious when it came to Saul's death. He knew that Saul was anointed by the Lord and uh, for the time that, that Saul was to lead. Um, so... Uh, it's, it's neat. This chapter is exciting, and, and uh, in certain ways, it's like an adventure. But let's go ahead and open up with prayer, and uh, we'll begin. Father God, we, uh, we lift you up, your name up, Father, tonight, and I, I'm just grateful for the, all those who are here uh, present tonight and, and those who are at home uh, watching on the live stream. Lord, be with those who are traveling. I know there's several people that normally are here on Thursday nights, and they're traveling tonight. Father, be with them and keep them safe as they're on the road. Um, Lord, tonight as we open your word, Father, I, uh, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit illuminate the text for us, that what is there is what is spoken, Father, and nothing else. Lord, um, just thank you so much again for this evening and this opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen. So again, so I'm just kind of wrapping up where we were, uh, Saul was mourning the death of uh, or, excuse me, David was mourning the death of Saul, and in a certain locale, um, let's just kind of back up. I'd like to re- try to remember where this was, because what I did tonight, you'll notice on the screen up there behind you, and let me grab real quickly a map. Step out of frame for a minute. There you go. There you go. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, but if you'll notice up on, now people at home might want to go to the back of your Bibles, uh, usually there's a a map in the back, or if you have an atlas, um, we're looking at a time where uh, there's a kingdom is divided, and that's during Saul and uh, David's reign. So on the map up there, and you have one in front of you, but I'll be kind of pointing you to certain areas to give you an understanding of, of where things are taking place. I, I find it interesting that for me, 
having a context of what's going on because a lot of these Old Testament um, narratives are a lot of names, a lot of lineage that we're not quite, who's this guy? Now, where'd he come from? And so you really have to read and reread to get a full understanding. So in this brief time tonight, I want to try to make it as clear as possible to you who, is, who are the players in the game and where are they going? Because I think it just kind of gives you an understanding of, oh, you mean there's, 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 there's Judah and there's Israel at this point. It's divided kingdom. So, um, so let's start right in uh, chapter 2 of 2 Samuel. Now it says, after this, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. Let's just kind of pause right there. So I'd like you to start by pointing on the pointer at my, with the map uh, right here. See on your map where it says Gerar, right where my pointer is? Right over that little area there. So David's way down here. In Ziklag, that's where he was mourning, basically mourning uh, the death of, of Saul. So he's down in, down in this area here, and he asked the Lord where to go. I'm just giving you some context here. So where he goes is, 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 is Hebron, and that's going to be, uh, it's hard to really see. It should be up around here somewhere. Let's double check my, oh, here it is. I see it on my map here. So is that right there, right? Is that correct? Okay, so you can imagine, I don't know how, that maybe is a 30 or 40 mile traverse. So that's where the Lord told him to go, to Hebron. Now, Hebron is, uh, is an area that's basically strategically placed between uh, Judah and Israel. Now at this point in time, just to, to kind of back up a little bit, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a division there's still those who are following Saul, and then there are those that are following David as he becomes anointed king. But he doesn't become anointed king of Israel right away. He becomes anointed king of Judah. And so there's a division. So Hebron is strategically located, between, kind of be almost on the edge of, of both regions, of both houses, so to speak. And it's, it's on an elevation. So it's a, it's a very proper uh, place to be for uh, for him, for his, his armies, to, to be on this elevated area. So that's just to give you an understanding of, of what that is. Now, although David has already been anointed by Samuel, uh, in this chapter, in this verse, in fact, let's kind of continue on real quickly here, um, just to go over some of the, the details of this. Uh, so David went up there, and his two wives also, uh, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, remember Nabal, the very bad guy, of Carmel. Um, and David brought, his men, brought up his men who were, who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, again, well, I'll go back to it. The men of Judah came, and they were anointed, and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. So even though uh, Samuel had anointed David king. Uh, this is the, the second anointing, but it's really more of just the region of Judah that David's going to be, he's going to be 
taking charge over, right? So uh, there's Israel on the top, you can see up there. In fact, they're color, they're color differentiated. This whole area is Judah and it kind of continues further down your map. And this is all of Israel up here. So just to give you an understanding of what happened and, and where, where David was first anointed. It was really over Judah, basically, okay? So, so what do we learn from this? We're, we've got a couple verses in and there's a few things I did notice uh, when it comes to David and how he, how he is interacting and how he is in submission to the Lord. So if, let's look back real quickly where it, where at the interaction that, that David is speaking. He's in, at this point, David inquired of the Lord, and he said, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him. So the Lord is speaking directly to him. In that day and age, that happened. That's the way the Lord spoke many times. He spoke through prophets. He spoke from on his own through the burning bush. Um, we know in this day and age that it's not impossible for the Lord to speak to someone, but we do know exactly, we have a guarantee on how he does speak to us, and that's the word of God. And so that is the way God speaks to us today. And I'm sure there's other ways that are possible. Uh, we don't want to limit God in any way, but we know the most consistent way he speak to, speaks to us now is through the word of God. That's why we need to be in the word of God every day. Um, so just notice how David his attitude. Again, David inquired of the Lord. That just shows right there that his, he, he is in submission. He is in the right place. He is in the right standing with God, and he is inquiring. And the Lord is giving him direct, telling him exactly where to go according to God's plan. And I found that there's a contrast there. If you can kind of hold your place in 2 Samuel and jump back to 1 Samuel 28.6. So 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 6. Actually, let's back it up to verse 5, if you would. So back to 1 Samuel 28, 5. I want you to notice this as I read along here. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. So there's the, there's the big contrast already. We can see that God's hand was off of Saul. Saul inquired to the Lord and the Lord did not answer. So in this new stage of life that, that David's in, he's, he's just beginning to get ready to launch into his kingship. Uh, and just by the way, this is a time where David was... Uh, he's been waiting for uh, 15 years almost, or maybe more. So David was anointed by Samuel uh, when he was 16 years old to be the king of Israel. He waited that long because right now in this time frame, just to give you, uh, again, context, he is about 30 years old, okay? So he's 30 years old, just trying to begin to, to start this reign uh, that was eventually going to be, uh, I think, a 40-year reign. Uh, so... But I just, I just thought it was interesting, the contrast there of David inquiring from the Lord at this point in his life in contrast to Saul. So we know that God's hand was on David. He inquired of the Lord. He was humble, and the Lord spoke, and the Lord told him where to go. And there are many reasons for it that sometimes David maybe wasn't sure, but he followed and he went. So, I, I, you know, I, just can't, I want to pause. I don't want to rush things tonight, but I do want to make sure that we understand that in, in passages like this, it's a, it's a narrative. 
and it's very governmental, and there's a lot of battles that we're going to see tonight, and there's a lot of things happening, but, and, and I don't want to ever put something into here that's not there. I don't want to take a verse and go, well, this is what I think it means, and so this is how you should apply it to your life. But I think it's pretty clear in here that we should, we should be walking in a way that we're in step with the Lord. Now, we may not go, Lord, what should I, should I buy this car or not? But through godly wisdom that we apply in our lives and, and understanding the Word of God, we should be able to get a good understanding of what the Lord's saying. And so each decision we make, whether it's large or small, we should always be in step. Lord, what, what should I do? Be open to it. You know, we may not hear an audible voice, but we should know that people ask, what's God's will for your life? Well, God's will and God, the way God will speak to us is that if we live in, within God's moral framework and we live within God's wisdom, which are all found in the Bible, that we're going to be in God's will and He will answer us. Now, do we make mistakes in life? Of course, but it should be our intention as we walk that walk of faith that we are in, in concert with Him. And, and that by doing that, we're, we're in the Word of God. So let's continue on. So David's been anointed by the, by the, as king over the house of Judah. And that's a pretty large area on your map. If you look at that area down here at Judah, all the way from Kadesh Barnea at the very bottom, and it extends out to the, to the east to the Dead Sea, and you go all the way up to, uh, well, it's, it's, it's Gilbea. Hebron is, is, is on a, you can see it's on a high peak on the map. I love a map that shows you, but it's on a really high peak there, and it's got a good vantage point. So I think, and then above where Mizpah is, and that all begins the uh, Israel's uh, house. So let's move on. So when they told David, and these are the, these are the men that came and anointed, they're, they're, they're leaders of Judah. When they told David, this is verse, uh, we're continuing in verse 4, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who buried Saul, comma, well, I'm almost text talking there. Sorry about that. Are we used to, does anybody text talk? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, sorry. Delete, <laughs> comma, period, end of story. Um, let me jump back up real quick. Um, I, want you to, I want you to look on your map and notice where Jabesh Gilead is. And I'm going to do it on the pointer here. You might be able to find it, but if you go up along the Jordan River, Jabesh Gilead is right up here, right above the, where it says Israel. So just to give you, just to kind of back up a little bit, if you look way up there, I'm trying to figure out where the actual, I don't have it written down, but th those are the men that left that region way up high and went down almost, to, almost as a, like a secret operative to go rescue Saul and to rescue Saul's sons. And it was a big deal. It was they had to go through the gates of the city where they had the house that had Saul's body. And so these guys really had gone above and beyond because they were dedicated to Saul. This is from the northern region of Israel, so they were under Saul's authority. And so they did this this co-op, this this SEAL Team Six thing to go in and get the bodies and bring them out and to properly cremate and to properly bury Saul and his sons. It was a big deal. And so this is where, this is where the, the narrative kind of describes what they did, uh, which we, we've already covered in, I think, 31. But let's continue reading through here. It was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, in other words, from Hebron. They went north and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. 
Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So this is, again, where David is really showing a kingship. He's being a leader. He's, he's humbly, I think he knows that he's going to be king of all of Israel. And I think David had so much wisdom. And I say I think. There's a lot of scholars that have written that he, uh, he was, not only was he a, a strong king, but one of his, his strengths was ambassadorship. He was, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, skillful with, you know, I, I probably should have researched these words better, but um, he just, he, was, he knew how to, what's that? A diplomat. A diplomat, that's a good, that's the good word. He was a diplomat. So he knew that one day he would be head over these people, so he wasn't trying to be a bully or go, uh, you know, Saul's dead, look at me, I'm, be, I'm already in charge of Judah, now I'm going to come coming for you next. But he was simply honoring the men that did that because he knew that Saul was anointed by the Lord. And so he wanted to honor those men because one day he would be headship, had have, have headship over those men. So um, I have written down here, this accomplishes two things for David. His sincerity in lauding the men shows he has no malice. That was important there, what I was trying to get out. <laughs> um, and then it sets a stage for his leadership um, east of the Jordan, which is basically all of Israel. So let's kind of move forward again. Now this is where, uh, this is where it describes uh, Ish-bosheth is the, going to be the king of, of Israel. And Ish-bosheth, I have a little thing written down so you can kind of give, give you an understanding of who he is. This is one of Saul's sons, obviously one that did not pass, didn't, wasn't killed. So Saul's son is now taking the reins in the area of Israel, right? So let's, let's kind of read through this narrative. But Abner, and let me stop real quickly. Abner, let's tell you who Abner is. Uh, he's a commander of Saul's army. It just says that right there. <laughs> I should just keep reading. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ish-bosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him up over to Manaheim, or Manam. And he made him king over all Gilead and the Asherites, and Jezreel, and Ephraim, and Benjamin, and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David, and, and the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So that simply, that little passage there is just describing historically uh, who's in charge now and where they're in charge. It describes the little regions, and, and they're all basically kind of up and down through here, uh, these regions, and you can see the dividing line there of where Ish-bosheth was going to reign and where David was currently reigning. Um, so just a, as far as the timeline goes, Ish-bosheth, he, he ruled for two years, which means that someone was going to come up behind him. David rules for a total of seven and a half years over Judah, um, but a total of 40 years, so 33 years over all of Israel um, and seven years over Judah, which is a total of 40 years. And so David ruled, just to give you an understanding, at starting at age 30 all the way to 70. So that's a pretty long, long era of reigning there. 
So let's kind of continue on here. At the, the Battle of Gibeon, this is a weird one, this Battle of Gibeon. Um, before I go into that, it's, as we read some of these things, I, I, some things I don't understand, and, and some things might have been more cultural, and the way they did things, and, and there might not be a great understanding of some things. And even when I look back at some, some narratives and some, uh, or some, uh, um, some things some other biblical scholars were saying, there was really no answer for this part. It was just something that happened, and they did it, and there's really no meaning to it uh, other than, than what this probably did. This next passage was it simply incited the, the, incited the unbalance and the, the rivalries between the two, two houses, the house of Judah and the house of Israel. So let's kind of read through this thing. It's interesting. We don't want to pass over anything. So Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ish-bosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanam to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zariah, and the, Dave, and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. Let's just stop right there. What's interesting, I love this kind of, when this stuff happens, is that archaeologists now, in this current era of time, I don't know how long ago it was, but they found this pool of Gibeon. And they've uncovered it, and they know exactly what it is. They know where it is. It's in the right location. And it was basically like a, a retention area for their water, for the city. And so it was a giant pool area that they were able to gather at. And so this is where they met. It was a, probably a central location. And um, they, anyway, so let me just kind of continue on, but just to make you an understanding of what that was. So at the pool of Gibeon, uh, and they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, now Joab was the commander of David's forces, just to give you an understanding of who Joab is. Um, he also that was David's nephew. We'll get into that a little further. Um, but Abner said to Job, let the young men arise and compete before us. Now, these, these were the, um, most scholars say that these were probably some of the elite. Some of the, like, you know, they weren't gladiators, but they were some of the, the strongest men, the most agile, and they were going to compete in some manner. It was almost as if it was a game or something uh, at, the, at the onset. And so let's, let's kind of go on here a little further. Let the young men arise and compete before us. So and Joab said, let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number, 12 for Benjamin and Ishbosheth the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Yeah, therefore, that place was called Helkath Hazurium. What a perfect name, that's a strange name. Uh, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day. And Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. So just a strange, odd picture. You've got these two competing forces on either side, and they jump in and they do, whether they're grappling or whatever they're doing, grabbing each other by the head, and then, you know, yeah. And then, you know, and then at the end of this thing, it says that, uh, Abner and the men of Israel were beaten uh, before the servants of David. Now, for, it sounds like it was a pretty even there to me, you know. So again, it's one of these passages that I'm like trying to pour over and go, what happened here? Why, why were they considered beaten? I, I don't really know. And, and no one really talked about it because it seemed like it was even. But there might have been more stuff going on in the background than we knew of. And I think perhaps uh, just by the, what's coming next, knowing that uh, Abner's retreating, that perhaps they knew 
something was coming, and so they were outnumbered. But that's what the narrative says. It's very interesting, and I thought it was just kind of, uh, the contest was, was interesting. Um, and Abner was the one that proposed the contest, and David pretty much followed up. It really settled nothing, but I think what it did do, uh, if anything comes from that little passage there, is it did spur on the, the battle, I think, that was to come. There's a, a, even in chapter 3, we're not going to get into that tonight, but you'll see it starts by saying there was much between the two tribes, the two, the two houses. There was a lot of battle going on. So this was kind of a catalyst to begin the unrest between the two. So uh, let's kind of move forward here. And the th- so and the three sons of Zariah, Zariah, and let's, let me just kind of, if you want to write this down here, I should have been telling you to write these things down just to give an understanding. Zariah, uh, based on um, somewhere in First Chronicles, is actually David's sister. So that gives you an understanding of who she is, okay? So it says, the three sons of Zariah, which is David's sister, were Joab. So Joab is David's nephew, okay? And, and Abishai and Asael, or Asahel. Um, so those three guys there are David's nephews, and I have my little, I, I, this is when I study, I've got a little cheat sheet of who is who, because it really gets confusing, right? So we've got these three guys, Joab, who is, is, is uh, the commander of David, David's armies, Abishai serves with Joab, if you want to write any of this down, and Asahel is, um, he is, well, he's, He's overly determined and he's very fast. It's what we know about him. He was swift on his feet, but he was a bit rash. And we'll see that as we continue forward. But so now we have basically three of David's nephews. So now Asahel was as swift of foot as a wild gazelle. And Asahel pursued Abner. Now this must be, I'm going to pause right there. This must be when they were... Uh, Abner was retreating to, heading back up to Israel in the region of uh, Gilead. So, um, but he was being, they were kind of being followed. And it seems to me that um, this, one nep- this one nephew was sort of just wanting to do something or wanting to be a victor. I don't know what he was really wanting to, but he was definitely made some rash decisions. It was all, everyone agrees on that with some things that I read about him. Um, so Asael pursued Abner and as he went, he turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. He was, he was dead set on, on, on getting after him. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is it you, Asahel? And he answered, It is I. Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would, would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asahel, turn, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? So if we just kind of pause right there, Abner's giving him way out. Abner is obviously a, a far more skilled. This, this, this uh, nephew might be fast and he might be a little rambunctious, but he's certainly not the battler or fighter that, that Abner is. So uh, several times he's, he's telling him, just back off, you know, you're going to get hurt, so to speak. So let's continue on, verse, verse 23, but he refused to, cer- to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear, which, by the way, back then, I believe there was a front 
main part of the spear, but the back wasn't necessarily uh, just a blunt thing. It had a, a, a point to it because they wanted to use that in battle, both be able to use both sides even if the spear broke. So that, so we're trying to think, well, how did that come? So that's to give you an understanding of what's going on there. He refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of the spear so that the spear came out of his back. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Ashel had fallen and, and died stood still. So, you know, we got to get through the hard stuff. This is the weird stuff, you know. Why, why did that happen? I don't know. Uh, you know, there's so many things that are going on in this chapter that, that we're not really sure exactly why they occurred and why they occurred in this particular fashion. But what we do know is that God has an ultimate plan for what's going to happen. Because down the road, Abner's not going to live forever, and, and God has someone, some, another plan for him as far as what's going to happen and how that's going to be avenged, right? So this might be a passage that's like, well, that's really strange. He was just trying to go after him, and just like, you know, uh, just the, the guy trying to catch the ark. I mean, it wasn't, was it that bad of a deal? And, and uh, uh, we know that God has other plans. So let's continue on through here. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. So at this point, the two brothers that are that are or the two brothers that are left saw what happened. They were they were literally stood still in their tracks when they realized what had occurred. So now they're going after and you know the the, the two bro, the two brothers and the rest of the army behind is heading after these Israelites as they move forward. Well, the house of Israel. So. So Joab and Abishai pursued Abner, and as the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Amah, which lies before Gaia on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now let me just show you where Gibeon, on the map, just to give you an understanding of where they were headed back to. Uh, let's see, okay, Gibeon, oh, oh. <laughs> screensaver went out. Okay, so I'm not gonna show you there, um, but Gibeon, if you look, is, is north of Bethlehem which is just north of Hebron. So, um, Gilbeah. Did I get that right? No, that's Gilbeah. Let's see here. I'm looking, has anybody, can anybody find the hills of Gibeon on here? Where did that, where, where do you see that? Right, okay. Okay. No, that's Gilbeah. Okay. There are some maps that don't have every single thing on there, uh, but I can tell you that they, they were heading north uh, into, the, into the region where it, they were returning home, basically. Um, so well, let's continue on. That, that's, that's of no matter. What really matters is what's, what happens next in the text here. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of a hill. So picture this, Abner has moved forward, he's heading back to where they're coming from, and they're being pursued by an army, and so everyone comes to sort of back up Abner, and they're coming up from behind him, and there's just a show of force. And it says, let's pick it up in 25, and the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of the hill. Then Abner called to Joab, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will, will be bitter? Hmm. 
How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? And Joab said, As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. Hmm. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight anymore. I just think that's interesting. I, again, part of God's plan, um, just to get an understanding of what's going on, you know, I, why did that happen? Why did that occur? But it seemed to be that there was enough wisdom with uh, Joab to have an understanding that when something is over, it's over. And perhaps, and he, I think he knew that God had, it wasn't God's timing, and he heeded the warning, and he, he returned, and he retreated. Um, it's just an interesting passage there. Some of this you, you kind of get an understanding of, but some of it you, it's, it's a little hard to get through. Um, the, the one thing I did read is that Abner um, really was calling for more of a temporary truce. I think they knew at some point that David would be king of, of all of Israel, and this was more of a kind of pleading for just a respite, so to speak, or just a, a truce, but no, only being temporary, I think. And so that's just sort of what, what, what I was able to find with that. Um, each camp returns to their own uh, places here. Um, and then let's continue on here. And Abner and his men went all that night through the Arabah. So they're retreating back to where they came from. They crossed the Jordan and marching the whole morning, they came to Mahanaim. Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner. And when he had gathered all the people together, they were missing from David's servants, 19 men besides Asahel. But servants of David had struck down of, ben, struck, struck down of Benjamin 360 of Abner's men. And they took up Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. Interesting. Um, I, it's one of these things where it's, it's a short chapter. You know, it's, there's nothing to, we're not going to over-labor this, what's going on here. It's simply a narrative, almost as if it's a transitional narrative to get to the, what's coming in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And I chose not to get into all that because I want to just sort of focus on this. It might be a little more brief tonight than, than anything else, but just to get an understanding of what's happening, who the players are, why this is this is the origin of how these two uh, houses, so to speak, be, started becoming at war. Because if you look, if you do jump ahead just for a second, forgive me, Greg. Um, it says there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. So, what we just saw was just sort of a part in a series that described kind of what was going on transitionally to get to this, this, these battles as they begin to escalate. And so we have a couple of things that happened in, in this chapter, and that is, uh, you know, like what are the takeaways from this? And so I always wonder, like, well, this is a very um, governmental, there's battles going on. You know, I, you don't want to try to draw out of the passage what's not there. So it's really more of just an understanding of historically what's going on, just to give you a, a, an understanding. And I think that's part of, Bible study, 
You know, not every single Bible study is going to be a, a, a strong exhortation or a, you know, trying to relate it to how I'm living my life. But there are some things, and we can kind of go through those as we get to the end of this. But just to give you an understanding, and as we study the Bible, studying who these people were and where they came from and why these things occurred, because something that's going to happen in chapter 3 and 4 and 5, are going to, you're going to want to refer back to what's going on here. So having an understanding of this chapter will broaden your understanding of what's coming. So as we continue to go forward, you'll go, oh, that's right, this, these, these men were from the camp up here, and these men were from down here in Judah, and this is what happened with the battle, and this is, oh, I remember that, that pool, that's where the, that major battle occurred. And it's just to give you an understanding of historical information, and that's part of it. Um, so again, uh, you have the little map, and you might want to be able to kind of hold on to that, because as we can continue with this throughout the weeks to come, uh, things will occur, and, and David will begin to, to, to take over areas east of the, so the river and all these kinds of things, and so it's interesting. So what have we learned tonight? So I, I did write down some takeaways, and again, we're, we're kind of cooking here. I'm, I'm not going on Greg's time, I, but it's going to go a little faster because, again, it's a short chapter, um, and I didn't want to pull anything out that wasn't there, but just more of give you a, an understanding of the narrative where we're going with this. But there were some things, starting with walking in the Spirit. And as we first looked at um, the beginning, right at the onset, we probably could have stopped. You could, you could almost do a sermon on the very beginning. Uh, and I talked a little bit about it, about what it's like to be in tune with the Lord, to be walking in step with the Lord, to be listening uh, to, the, to the Lord. And, and yeah, I know there's a lot of people that talk about, you know, hearing from God and and uh, listening to that still small voice, which really is a passage that's taken out of context, you know. Uh, so those, you have to be careful with a lot of those things. But, but again, living your life using godly wisdom that's found in the Word of God and staying within His moral framework that's found in the Word of God is really how we get an understanding of how to live and how to, how to, to interact with the Lord. We pray because we're commanded to. We're prayed to, to have fellowship with the Lord. And again, while we might, might not hear that, that audible voice, if we're in the Word of God, He's speaking to us. And there's no question about it. So it's why, it's why we really need to stay. You want, how do I stay in step with the Lord? How do I, how do I really walk with Him? Well, you, you stay in the Word. That's the one thing. The one thing we, we have the Holy Spirit, but we also have the Word of God. Those are the two things we're left with, really. And so I think that Oftentimes, we, we uh, maybe favor one over the other. You know, we just want to kind of fly by being led by the Spirit. Now, we are led by the Spirit because we're not being led by the flesh. That's the differentiation there. But uh, oftentimes, uh, maybe we go a little light on the Word of God, and we need to really kind of get that balance a little, little more in check, being in the Word, and not just kind of going with what our senses are. Because sometimes we can pray for things, or sometimes we might have an urging or a prompting, and... Quite frankly, we don't know if it was the Lord until the whole thing's over with. And there's been many times where I'm like, hey, I would, you know, I, I've been, I felt led to pray for you this week. And they look at me like, why? You know, like, well, you know, so did I do something? You know, and, and so sometimes we're not really sure. We're, we are, we're human and we have a, a conscience and we have a brains and minds. Uh, we are, we have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We never want to minimize that. Uh, there are urges and promptings by the Spirit to pray for people and to, uh, but we, we, we always need to make sure that uh, we're, that's in check 
and that it doesn't outweigh what's, what the Word of God says. And because we, this, is, this right here is His Word, it's how He speaks, it's been given to us, right? Um, another thing we looked at as we kind of went through that narrative is self-control. We saw that um, the one nephew, Asahel, was, 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 uh, he was rash in his decision. He kind of without thought went after um, Abner. He, he didn't really want to, um, he might not have been the best equipped to go into battle. Maybe he didn't know what he was getting into. Maybe he just was going to chase him down and just out of control. And that ended in death. And so I don't want to try to say that that's what the narrative is saying, but I think we always need to keep that in check. Uh, I, I personally, I do was, as far as remaining in control, you know, and, and not acting rashly or like David did when he was going to go down and kill Nabal. That's, that's, he was acting with his own self-vengeance. We covered that earlier. And so we always need to be in step, uh, waiting on the Lord and being rational and thinking clearly. And so that was something that uh, we kind of observed in this passage tonight. The last one, really, that I kind of that that kind of stood out to me from the text, in general, as we look at the whole picture, with where we've been and where we're going, I snuck and read ahead a little bit and refreshed myself. But uh, simply waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord to just, you know, David David was anointed at, to be king of Israel at sixteen, right? And he's now 30, finally. And it's not even all of Israel. It's just Judah, the, the, the lower region. And so, but, but we're watching him develop into, and, and learn as he goes. And he's developed into a fine young man, a 30 years old. I say young man, he's 30. He's a young man. Um, but knowing with all these battles uh, that are occurring and, and all these strange things that are finally getting to putting him on the throne for 40 years, I think it's important... Uh, as we look at those, to understand that in our lives, um, things might not quite go as we picture them to go or as we have planned they should go. But what I do know, just from reading just about any narrative in Scripture, is that God has an ultimate plan for us. And how that's played out is really sometimes beyond what we can imagine. Uh, it's sometimes not even what we think we have planned. Um, but it's important to, to make sure, again, that we're walking in step with the Lord, being patient with Him. I was thinking the other day, we had an elder meeting last night where we have our shepherding meeting, and we prayed for two hours. Uh, you know, we had a meeting for two and a half hours of just praying over the body, praying for the needs of the, of the body. And, but on my way out there, we pass, I passed by uh, 82nd Avenue, and there's, a, there's a, a building out there that we had looked at, but originally a couple, several months back, as a potential site for where we're going to to, to maybe have a church, our own building. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be nice just to be able to pull into there and then there's the name and everything's set up and, and it's exactly how we want it. And, and, uh, but then I, as I was looking through this passage, kind of continuing this today, I, I thought, well, in God's timing, you know, it, it's okay that we're meeting in a cafeteria in a media center. I sure would like to be in a church like next week, have our own building, but God has a plan. We don't know why. Maybe we're not ready yet. Maybe there's things that are occurring behind the scenes. Maybe the market's going to do something different. Maybe um, we, because, we're, because we're waiting that each month we begin to build more and more finances. We, we, we're saving for this. And so God has a plan. He knows exactly where we need to be and when we need to be and how we need to be when that occurs. And so 
we can kind of get anxious. And, you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day about um, my, re my retirement. I'm a teacher. That's what I do for a living. And I've been doing it for 33 years, which is a long time. And my plan would like to be, I'd like to be done in a way, you know, just, you know, because I'm I've been teaching a long time. But using godly wisdom and the promptings of my wife, who God, who God, who God speaks through sometimes, you know, <laughs> I, I, I know that, that my, my desires and my plan, um, though I might have a desire, I, I need to be in tune and listen. And there might be a time when an opportunity arises that I can step out, but, I, but I'm blessed because I have a, a wonderful job that I'm excited about, and I know that that will all come to a, a close at, at, at God's proper timing, and then he'll have something else for me. I'm excited about that. I'll be able to get in and out of that system relatively young, and I'm excited about what I'm going to do next in my life. But it's important to, to not try to put in and interject what I want to do, when I want to do it, when we want to do things. Uh, we need to really just, we, we have to rest in the fact that God is sovereign. He has, he has the whole plan laid out for us, our entire life. And what he's wanting us to do is simply submit to that. There's a positional thing between God's sovereignty and who we are. And we need to always remain, yes, Christ died for us on the cross and we are a friend of Jesus. I've talked about this before, but he's still sovereign and he's holy and he has a perfect plan and he's immutable and omnipresent and omniscient. And we need to trust that and we need to have that, that relationship where we are submitting to that. His son did. Right? So as we kind of conclude this chapter, I, I just, there's some crazy stuff in there and some weird battles, hand-to-hand -hand combat things, and, but it's all sort of setting the stage for what's occurring. You look at the map up there and, and you can see the area that David's now in charge of, that region, Judah South, but he will be king of all of Israel for 40 years total, well, 33 years total. And so that's a, that's a long span. So each little thing that happens in this, in this narrative are, are things that are important that we need to understand. So the takeaways, again, I think would just be keeping in step with the Holy Spirit as we lead our lives. Um, Self-control was one of those things for me, just kind of noticing what happened to that one of the, one of the nephews, uh, and then simply just waiting on the Lord as we walk and just knowing that His plan is the best, whether it's good or bad or whatever we go through, um, trials, there's a lot of trials going on right now, but we know that God has an ultimate plan for it, and we need to say, uh, stay in submission to that plan. So, amen? amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you tonight for your word. Uh, Lord, it's, it's all in there. It's all inspired and written by you and your, the Holy Spirit, Father, and we sometimes, uh, there's, there's some things in there, some narratives that are interesting and, and, and uh, gory in some ways, but ultimately, Father, if we, if, we, if we look at the big picture, even the big picture of, of, of your word of Samuel and, and the Kings and the Chronicles, Lord, that we, we know then we see that it's, it's all part of your plan, a larger plan. Lord, help us to remain uh, in, in a positional submission, Father, to your sovereign authority, Lord. In other words, Lord, I just pray that we just stay in tune with you, Father, and in step by staying in prayer and staying in your word and reading what you have to say and gaining an understanding of what's in the word of God, what, what you have written for us, Lord, no matter what passage we're in. Father, go with us tonight as we leave here. Lord, keep us uh, safe as we travel. Lord, I ask you to be with those who are uh, suffering with 
any uh, infirmity, any health issue, Father. I know that there's some people that, uh, that were, were battling COVID. I, they're coming through it, and thank, thank the Lord. Uh, we pray for those who are um, dealing with surgeries coming up. Lord, we pray for those who are traveling right now. Father, give them traveling mercies. Lord, be with each and every one of us, Father, as we go home, and, and, uh, and Lord, allow us to all return together on Sunday to worship you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.